0: Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of your body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Over to you, Chris. Uh, just as I'm getting organised, the Bible reading is Matthew 6:19 to 24. So, if you'd like to turn there, we'll be um, having a glance at that quite a few times. So, Matthew 6. In fact, I should. Can I have it up here? Excellent. Matthew 6:19 to 24. Have you ever wondered? Whether, whether the world in which we live is incompatible with the Christian life. You know how it is. The world tells us that we must put ourselves first, that we must consider ourselves because no one else will. But the Bible tells us a different story. It tells us that we must love our neighbour as ourselves. We have to put our neighbour in place of ourselves. The, uh, the world teaches us that we should be good people Uh, but we shouldn't impose our beliefs on others. Yet the Bible seems to teach us that we can't get into heaven by being good people and that we should be sharing our beliefs with other people. The passage today that we have about treasures in heaven seems to me to be a little bit incompatible with the world in which we live. It seems to tell us that we shouldn't be storing up treasures here on earth and in my mind with the world's way of thinking, that seems a little bit irresponsible. The world's wisdom tells us that if we do store up for ourselves some treasures, then we will be able to invest that, we'll be able to receive fruit and blessing from that and it will be a source of, I guess, freedom and security for us. So the Bible here seems to be going against what we might think of as common wisdom. Now, I grew up in Adelaide And I was very fortunate in Adelaide to have a very good education. And I lived in Adelaide at a time when I think house prices were affordable. And I started to get within me something ingrained within me that I have come to know as the Great Australian Dream. Now, we don't hear the Great Australian Dream too often these days. We don't hear it because house prices in capital cities are so high that people can no longer um, go with the Great Australian Dream, which is to be able to save up enough to buy your own house, save up enough so that once you've got your own house, you have a certain security about you and I guess a certain freedom in the way that you live once you get to that point. Now, in 2012, I went overseas to do some study I think I was able to go and do that study as a result of having this great Australian dream. I was able to save up enough money in order to go over to Canada and support myself over there while I started my theological study over there. When I got over there, I found that people were very different from me. I don't know why I expected them to be the same, but (laughs) when I got over there... There, wasn't, there weren't very many people that had this great Australian dream, or well, mainly they weren't Australian, so that makes sense, but the great Australian dream that I had, they had absolutely none of it. The reason they had absolutely none of it is because in Vancouver, house prices were like Sydney house prices. So they saw no point in saving up for anything at all because if you save up for anything, you're not actually getting anywhere. You weren't actually heading towards owning anything that was of substantial value. When I was over there, I lived with a family and they were a wonderful blessing to me and I hope I was a wonderful blessing to them also. But the family I lived with never had any hope whatsoever of owning their own home. They were living week to week and in order for them to pay their rent each week, they needed to sublet to me. So I was renting one room out of their house and that allowed me to go in other places too and be part of their family, which was lovely. But they rented essentially one room to me so that they could pay their rent. And it started me thinking, what's the biblical way of understanding it? Is the great Australian dream a biblical way? Or as it seems to be when I read the treasures in heaven, a cursory reading of it would tell us that maybe that's not the way. Maybe we shouldn't be storing up treasures. Maybe we shouldn't have this great Australian dream. So let's get into the passage to see what it says. We need to press into it, not just a cursory reading, but we need to see what Jesus is saying here. But I'm not actually going to start us with the story about treasures in heaven. You see... Flynn read two other parts too. One was about an eye and the other part was about um, serving two masters and and then God and money. Now, when Matthew wrote his Gospel, he didn't do it by just getting some stories that Jesus uh, wrote and just sort of slopping them down on the page in some random order. There is a deliberate way that he orders things and... um, the story about the eye and the story about not serving two masters relates directly to this story about treasures in heaven. So I want to actually deal with those two first, so we're actually going further down in the reading and then we'll come back up to the treasures in heaven. So in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now what does a lamp do? Well, generally a lamp is something that you hold there and it should direct you, shouldn't it? Um, hopefully it will direct you eventually towards a narrower and narrower passage. Hopefully that's what it does. It might start broad, but it needs to come down and be narrow. If I go for a night hike, I want my lamp or my torch to direct me on a particular path. It's not direct me in one direction, then the other direction. So it narrows down the vision. And I think this is the way that Jesus uses the lamp here, he's saying the eyes are a lamp to the body, the eyes are what should be directing you towards your goal, towards your target. We might say that you need to be single sighted, I guess, directed towards your target. And we read on, still verse 22, If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy... Your whole body will be full of darkness. What's he saying here? Well, the word healthy and unhealthy, they seem to make a fair bit of sense when we read it in English. But I'm not sure they're actually the best translation here. The word healthy could mean simple, but the more literal translation which I actually think fits best here is to be single, so, what I said before about being single-sighted is what the Bible's telling us to be here. We need to be single-sighted for God. These days, we probably wouldn't say that term. We'd probably say single-minded, which has the same idea. We need to be single-minded for God. But then this other word, unhealthy, which you have in your Bibles, likewise it um, reads well in English, but I don't think it's the best translation. Whenever I come across this word, I would normally translate it as wicked or perhaps evil. But in this context, I think it could be translated. The best thing that makes um, sense is that it's translated covetous. Now, covetous means you're looking around you. You're looking for other lights around you. You're not single-minded towards the one goal. So this passage is teaching us to be single-minded and not to be covetous. Now you might know about Matthew's Gospel and who it was written to. It was written to Jewish people And it was written to them to then go and, um, I I guess, expand their horizons and start proclaiming things to the Gentiles. But if this is written to a Jewish people, and if it is as I think it um, is the word here meaning covetous, then when they hear that, I reckon they hear a certain thing, and I reckon there's a whole lot of guilt that comes down on them if they hear this word. You see, the Tenth Commandment is do not covet, isn't it? But the problem with the Israelites is their whole history is one of coveting things. You might remember that Israel didn't have a king because they had God as their king. But they started to look around them. They started to covet what the other nations had. And when they coveted it, they said, God, we want a king. You might remember when the Israelites went into Canaan They were told that they were supposed to take out all the Canaanites so that they wouldn't be influenced by them. But when they got there, they weren't single-minded for God. They started to look around them. They started to be covetous and they looked to the uh, beautiful Canaanite women and they took them to be their own. They looked around them. They were covetous. You see, the Israelites were supposed to be a light to the nations but instead they looked to the nations for light. They were a covetous people. I think this is applicable here to us today because basically it's the story of sin, isn't it? We're looking around us all the time to fulfil ourselves when we should be single-minded to God. The apple in the day of Adam and Eve, the apple was pleasing to the eye. It shone a light. Surely that won't do any harm, would it? When we look around us, some of us start to lust. It's pleasing to the eye. It shines a light. Surely that won't do any harm, will it? Perhaps for you, the looking around is maybe financial gain. Maybe when you're looking around, you think, oh, let's look at this um, tax return. I can squeeze a little bit more here if I just smudge this finger, figure or something. You're looking around yourselves to different lights. Now, there is a remedy for this, looking around us to different lights and the remedy is to be single-minded for Christ. We need to always bear that in mind. If you're looking around you for different lights, then you're not going to be able to make yourself try harder or work harder to get rid of those lights. You have to be focused on the single light. The next part of the passage is really interesting. It says, If then the light within you is darkness, how great the darkness. And this one takes a little bit of thinking to understand what's being said. What I think is being said here is if you are covetous, if you are looking around you and there's all these little lights popping up around you and you take them and you put them inside of you and if it lights up inside of you, then how great that darkness. You see, if there wasn't darkness inside, these little lights around you, these covetous lights, would not light up the darkness. Let's have a look at an image. The image is of the sun. Now, if the sun is the true light and we look to the true light of Jesus, if you hold up a candle and put it into that light, you wouldn't be able to see it very clearly, would it? would you? The candle might be a flickering light, that covetous light that is around us. We need to be single-minded for the true light so that this covetous light won't come to us. When we move on in the passage, we now move on to the part that talks about serving two masters. And it's making pretty much the same point here but it's making it from a perspective of the Roman times and it says no one can serve two masters, either you'll hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now in Roman times it was possible for a slave to have two different masters. It wasn't something that was common but it was possible. Now, as I understand it, what would happen is there'd be two brothers, presumably when they were pretty young, they would take on a slave for themselves. And as they grow up and they perhaps go to different houses, they would still have that common slave between them. Now, if one of those brothers says to the slave, as he was entitled to do, slave, you are free. You may go and do what you want. But the other brother doesn't free the slave. Is that slave free? Not really. You can't go, yes, I'm free now, I'm going to go off and do what I want because he's still bound to the other brother. He can't be both free and a slave at the same time. And that's what Jesus is saying to us here. If you are being single-minded, you can't be focused on these other things at the same time. And then he comes to a specific example. He comes to the example of God and money. And he says you can't be devoted to both God and at the same time be devoted to money. You can't be using up your time for um, praising God and being single-minded for God, but then also trying to build up your wealth. Now, the Bible, um, your Bible probably has the word um, you, cannot be, uh, you cannot serve both God and money, which is a very good um, application of it But the actual word probably is a bit broader than this. When Matthew wrote down the Gospel, he was writing it down in the Greek language. You might be aware of the New Testament was written in Greek. But Jesus spoke in Aramaic and the word that appears in Greek here is an Aramaic word. He hasn't translated it into Greek. And what that means for us is that Um, The word used is mammon rather than money and it means that mammon probably has a particular meaning that Matthew didn't want to translate. So Matthew didn't want to limit it to money. Matthew was saying that there's a broader meaning here and in Aramaic it can be all of your wealth. So it's not just the money that you've got in the bank or the money that you've got in your pocket. Jesus is saying you cannot be committed to um, gaining wealth but also be committed to uh, the gospel. I suspect there is an even broader application as well. I suspect it's not just our wealth but probably our resources and our time. How we use those things... um, God is saying that we cannot be committed in those things, our time and our resources, to be serving both God and serving our own earthly interests here. So does this mean that as Christians we should not have wealth, that we should be so single-minded for God that if we took any sort of possessions then it would be covetous and a searching after that dim-light around us which is no real light at all. Well let's now turn to the passage at hand which is the treasures in heaven passage. So starting from verse 19 and let's find out what it says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and corrosion destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So Jesus does say don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But what's the reason? He gives two reasons. The first one, moths and corrosion destroy. Now, when I get my jumpers out at the end of uh, summer, I get really annoyed when it's got moth holes in it. Um, And if I kept sort of feeding it to the moths, over time it would be gone. So the point here is that Over time, things will pass away. Over time, the wealth that you've stored up will be of no account anymore. Um, the same idea is with corrosion. There's, um, the NIV um, translates it in the 1984 version and the 2011 version. It translates it differently. I think one's got vermin uh, and one's got uh, corrosion or rust. And so the basic idea here is, is of something being eaten away. Rust eats away at the metal. I guess vermin eat away at things. I don't know too much about rats but it's all right. Um, so the, the point is that things over time just aren't as important anymore because it it gets um, eaten up. But the second point that he makes, he, he makes the same point but he presses in further and he says that thieves will break in and steal. So he's saying that if we try and build up treasures here on earth, it could be taken in an instant because a thief might come along. Now, if Jesus was talking about the how... How we should use our money here on earth. He makes a really, really bad argument. He says that um, if we store up treasures here, there is a possibility that a thief might come and steal it. Well, that's true. There is that possibility. But if I told you to go out and make sure that you had no possessions at all because there is a possibility that a thief might come, it's not very wise, is it? Because yes, a thief might come, but it's not actually that likely. I think it would be like me going to my class um, at school and saying to them, look, um, don't bother getting a good education anymore because there's a chance that something tragic might happen to you and your education will be useless or there's a chance that you might get a really, really big inheritance and so your education doesn't actually count towards getting money. If Jesus is speaking from an earthly perspective and he is speaking about the how of of using our money, then it's not a very good argument. You see, Jesus' argument here isn't about how we use our money. Jesus' argument here is about a contrast. He is contrasting earth, which is temporary, with heaven, which is eternal. He's saying that the temporary things will pass away and it will come like a thief. And the Bible says a thief in the night will come. And the new heavens and the new earth will be here and that everything that we had, that we had accumulated over all of those years, that will be worth nothing anymore. So the point here is the perspective. Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't follow the Australian dream because he's not talking about the how we use our money. He's not saying that we shouldn't store it up so that we can be freed from ministry. I still think that what I did heading up to 2012 in saving my money was a good thing so that I could support myself overseas because Jesus isn't talking about the how of our money here. Or maybe you're someone who is always spending your money, you're always seeing a need and you're giving away that money. Then that's a wonderful thing. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't in the Bible talk about these things but I am saying that here in this passage that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the how. He's talking about the perspective that we have. So the point here has, and I'm repeating myself, but the point here has nothing to do with the method of your spending but concerns itself with the perspective of your spending. It says that your single-mindedness should be a kingdom perspective not an earthly perspective. The point is that mammon lasts temporarily. It will be gone in the blink of an eye. Mammon is fleeting. Our treasures are fleeting. But the treasures in heaven last eternally. The point is that you need a kingdom perspective when you're thinking about managing money. So what is this kingdom perspective? Well, in house churches in the past week, we've actually had a few verses about the kingdom. One of the verses about the kingdom talks about a hand and it says the kingdom of God is at hand. What does at hand mean? It means it's so close, it's almost there, you can almost grasp it, but not quite. See, the world in which we live... We live in a time where the kingdom of God is accessible by faith but not yet by sight. The kingdom is at hand. It's almost there. We can sort of um, see it by faith but we can't grasp hold of it. That needs to be our perspective. We are looking towards that kingdom that is coming. We also looked at a parable um, and we looked at a few parables actually and if you know... um, they came from Matthew chapter 13 and that's actually quite significant. Matthew 13 isn't quite in the middle of Matthew's Gospel but structurally it is. It's right in the middle. And Matthew 13 is about parables of the Kingdom. And if it's at the heart of Matthew's Gospel, it tells us that the whole of the Gospel is actually about the Kingdom of God. So when Jesus is talking here, he's talking about things about the Kingdom of God. He's not talking about an earthly perspective. And we saw that the kingdom of God was described like a pearl and the pearl, we should give up everything, we should sell off everything so that we can grab hold of this pearl. It's saying that the kingdom of God is of immense value. We should be 100% committed to the kingdom of God. We should be so single-minded on the kingdom of God because it is so valuable. We live in a very unique time. We live in the time between Jesus' death resurrection and ascension, right through to when Jesus comes again. So we've got Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. It is sometimes called the last days. The technical term for it is the eschaton, if you've ever heard of that term. We live in a very unique time because it is the time when we can see that the kingdom of God is there. We can almost grasp hold of it We need to be fully focused on that time. You know, God in his mercy has relented on the judgment for now. But when he comes again, there will be a judgment. Let's make sure that we are kingdom perspective and that we've got our eyes fixed on the kingdom because we can't serve both this earth here and the kingdom at the same time. I want to illustrate with a story from the Bible. And the story concerns uh, Moses initially. You might remember the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. When they were wandering there, they were looking forward to the land that they would eventually enter into, the land of Canaan. It was described as the promised land. And the promised land for us is a little bit like uh, heaven. We're looking forward to heaven just like the Israelites were looking forward to going into the promised land. And before they go in there, Moses goes up onto a mountain and he can see from that mountain the promised land. And... There we go. Okay, so I just googled this image. I'm not sure how accurate it is, although the description was given that this is the uh, point at which Moses was able to see the promised land. Whether it's perfectly accurate or not isn't really the point. The point here is that this land is something that is um, wonderfully fruitful. It was described as a land that was flowing with milk and honey. Now I don't particularly like honey, but I do like milk, so I'm looking forward to going into heaven and drinking lots of milk. (laughs) A lot of people know that I love my milk with my wheat bits because I always have a lot of wheat bits. But so I'm looking forward to eating lots of wheat bits in heaven and having lots of milk with it. But the promised land here, we're looking into it and we're seeing, wow, this is absolutely fantastic. Um, It's got vineyards in there and those vineyards in there, you don't have to plant or anything, you don't have to water, all that's done for you. You just basically need to reap the rewards of it. It's described as just something that's so wonderful. Now, if we are not focused on the promised land, if we are not focused on the kingdom that is coming, it would be like we were looking back and saying, nah, the promised land's there, but I think I'd rather build my wealth up here. I'd rather build it up in the desert rather than look to the promised land. That's the contrast that I think Jesus is making here. We need to have a kingdom perspective. We need to be looking to the promised land because that's the only thing that matters because a thief will come and straight away our possessions will be taken away because the new heaven and the new earth will come in. I cannot press this point enough. There will be a time when the earth as it is now will no longer exist. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be where the the current heaven sort of breaks into the earth and there will be no distinction between heaven and earth anymore. There will be a um, renewed... In Revelation it talks about a new heaven and a new earth and some people better translate that as renewed. But it will be a coming together of heaven and earth so that the possessions that we've built up here and now or how we've used our money here and now aren't really of value anymore. We need to be kingdom-minded. We need to be focused on the kingdom that is to come because the kingdom to come is at hand. It is almost there. The days are really short. The time, it's imminent. Christ will come back. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. I don't know how, only only God knows, even though Jesus doesn't even know when the time is that he'll come back. But we must be fully focused on that time. When I lived in Adelaide, the um, church that I attended there, there was an old pastor and missionary um, and he was a little guy and whatever um, person he spoke to, particularly if they were youth, he'd go up to them and he would sort of poke them and he would say, young man, whatever you do for the Lord remains forever but whatever you do for yourself will pass away. He's absolutely right. And it makes sense in what we're talking about here. Whatever you do for the kingdom perspective remains forever. But whatever you do with your wealth here and now, that will only pass away. I guess his message would be, if you've got wealth now, well, however you use that, whether you think it's best to save it up so that you can be freed up for ministry, then do that with a kingdom perspective. If you're someone that more freely gives away money and you don't have wealth saved up, then do that with a kingdom perspective. Whatever you do, make sure that you do it with a kingdom perspective. So we've seen that we need to be single-minded for God. The eye taught us that. The lamp taught us that. But we need to make sure that we're not covetous because the true light is ahead of us. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and be single-minded for him. Stop looking around us for these little lights. And the remedy, if you are looking around you for these little lights that are no true lights at all, then you need to turn to Jesus. You need to fix your eyes on the true light. We saw that we cannot serve both God and mammon or we can't serve two masters. We can't be committed to building up treasures here on this earth and focusing on the kingdom perspective. We saw that the Bible passage isn't talking to us from an earthly perspective. It isn't telling us how we should spend our money. It is telling us the perspective with which to spend our money. We learnt that our wealth will pass away. It will be like a thief in the night coming because the new heavens and earth will arrive. That will happen very soon. We don't know the day or the hour but heaven will fully break into this earth and we will see it by sight, not just by faith we saw that a kingdom perspective knows that the kingdom of God is at hand. We can see it, we can almost grasp hold of it but all of our direction needs to be in that direction not turning back to um, the desert, the wilderness. We need to be focused on Canaan, the promised land to come. So whatever we do, whether we save up our money, whether we freely give it out, We must do that with a single-minded kingdom perspective. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we live in a very lucky country, a lucky country where uh, many of us do have uh, a fair amount of resources to use. Father, help us not to think that those resources will last forever. Help us to realise that our minds need to be fixed on you and only on you because your kingdom is coming your kingdom is at hand and it will very shortly be here and then the wealth that we've accumulated here on earth will have no value at all father give us the kingdom perspective as we go out this week help us to know what it means to be fully focused on the world that is to come, the kingdom that is to come, where the kingdom of heaven will fully break into this earth and your presence will be fully there. We know that once we get to that time, the wealth here on earth will be of no importance. So help us to change our perspective, Lord, to see the kingdom. Through Christ we pray. Amen.